You're listening to The Wrong Station Pledge Drive. The Wrong Station is only possible with the support of listeners like you. Become a subscriber today by visiting patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You'll receive access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes discussions, our new book club, and so much more. Today, The Wrong Station is proud to present Bite Force Quotient by Alexander Saxton. Loadout. Titanoloy hackknife. Ascension cable with garrot filament. Powered omni-wrench with drill driver attachment. Clamp pliers. Petty explosives. Sidearm with folding stock. Nutrient beads. Ancillary gel intelligence. Modifications. Subvocal high beam implant. Ceram alloy teeth. Bite force quotient muscle extensions. Secondary adrenal glands. Etc. Etc. Name, not applicable. Designation, Crocuta. Point of origin, crashed stasis pod 240 clicks southwest. Mission. Crouching in the desert of an alien world, eating the half-rotted carcass of some alien not unlike a predatory horse. Wingless flies, each about the mass of a moderately sized dog, kept their distance, waiting for him to finish. He'd killed two of them in order to win the corpse, one with the hackknife thrown, the other with the power drill attachment on his omni-wrench. A loud, horrible mess, if his mental repertoire had included the concept of mess. He pulled back from the body, wiped purulence from his lips, and gaped at the dry horizon, the pull toward it like a desire to walk downhill. Something there that he was supposed to find. Something there that he was supposed to kill. Once more he was off, a steady, ambling jog led by the weight of his shaggy head and heavy jaw. He didn't think of himself as a superman. He didn't think about himself very much at all, except as the sight of feelings that passed through like summer wind. Hungry. Tired. The positive emotions didn't really need a name. He didn't think about them, just experienced the warmth of the rising sun after the chill of desert night the cool of evening after blasting desert day, the smoothness of water against his parched tongue, the sweetness, when he could get it, of uncontaminated fat. No, he only used words in his head when he was sad. The word that came up most of all was lonely. Behind him, the bug dogs were following with a halting start-and-stop gait, sometimes far behind, sometimes catching up to nearly run alongside, he wasn't sure if they were hunting him, or only following him to further meals. They probably didn't know themselves. Opportunists, he thought, like himself. He respected that, but ignored them nonetheless. For the long hours of empty run across barren land, he had better things to think about. Half-formed daydreams and fantasies which drifted across his mind like chips of stained glass on pooled mercury. Colorful images, imagined scents and tastes, touch and the sense of community. These thoughts had more in common with dreams than memories. He had no memories. His world began with him climbing out of the pod. He ran. The horizon skittered away from him until at last the day waned. As the sky reddened, an adrenal switch clicked on inside of him, renewing his commitment to the run. But he knew it was better to go on the strength of sleep. 
if that could be safely had, than on that thin, bright feeling in his head. And so... Glow of the bloody sun revealed a shallow pit in the side of a dust hill, the veering angle of light filling it with purple against the reddish dust, the jaundiced pall that hung forever on the air. That shallow pit revealed itself to be a tunnel as he drew near, as he rested one hand against its crumbling edge and peered down into its darkness. Within, steel walls, all scored to a feathered softness by the passage of wind-blown dust, the remnants of access panels and sanded-down bolt-heads. Once upon a time, this had been a place, now only an invagination in the desert, clogged with sand and dust a few meters back. Still, a safer place to crouch than out under the hostile sky, resting with his eyes half open and his gun across his lap. A chill wind lapped at the tunnel entrance as the sun's last greenness left the horizon behind. He wished he had a fire. Not far from his hole, the fly dogs bedded down together, buzzing and nuzzling and occasionally coupling as stars began to blaze against the firmament. Those distant lights seemed so much brighter than his non-memories of a time before the pod recalled. Six or seven shards of moon drifted slowly across the sky, each faintly spheroid as they spun. He felt sleep lapping at the corners of his eyes, and fumblingly set his Immersed in violent dreams. His own, or someone else's. He couldn't be sure. He dreamed he was standing on the bridge of a ship the size of a nation-state, and that a blue world floated in the void below him. He dreamed he pulled a lever which split that world in half. He dreamed he saw his knife descending on the head of a child. He dreamed he was fighting himself in the mud of some jungle, and that he plunged his thumbs into the eyes of himself, all the way to the second knuckle. He dreamed... Already in motion before he awoke, as something massive and timed burst through the soft wall behind him, raising a tidal wave of sand and dust that engulfed him as he scrambled hand and foot out into the open night. His sidearm gone, something enormous and hissing behind him, damp breath boiling from a maw as wide as his height. He tripped over his own rappling line, which snapped and pinwheeled away through the darkness, fell hard onto his shoulder and turned the fall into a roll, tumbling aside through hard screes the thing thundered through the space he'd been a second before. He had the hack knife in hand without even knowing how it got there. Bitter anger rising volcanic within him, the anger not even his own, but a chemical state forced upon him by certain glands in his skull. He hurled himself against the side of the great head which tried to eat him. No time to think, to look. He only gleaned an impression of dull scales and wall eyes and prognathous jaws. Then the knife's flat point was driving into a lidless eye, bursting it. The head thrashed. Its impact was like a vehicle and sent him sprawling through the dust. Then the huge jaws were on him, the fleshy lips cold against his skin, and the great peg teeth straining to burst the bulletproof fabric and metal ribs of his suit. He was hacking wildly, punching through skin and splitting thin bone as the world spun and he was slammed against the ground. Then he felt his knife punch through skull, and he had one gauntleted hand up inside the creature's head, hard grip on some structure inside, and he wrenched... Next hill, the dogflies watched with absent interest as he pulled himself like a newborn from the jaws of the great dead eel, and then hunched by the hole in its head to shovel fistfuls of brain into his mouth. 
Once he'd eaten his fill and collapsed on a nearby dune to rest, they buzzed to their feet one by one and shook and ambled toward the great carcass. Then came the sound of joyful feeding. All that night and the next watching them sleep, bristly and vibrating softly for warmth in the cold of the desert night. He envied them profoundly. Horizon's gravity drew him southward once again. He ran easily, then doggedly over stretches of red sand, through canyon badlands where he watched every hilltop for signs of ambush, over hard pan and salt pan, and into regions of shrub-starred scrub. Around mid-morning, the dogflies caught up with him. They were faster than he was, but had nothing like his endless reserves of stamina, the extra pseudo-kidney which processed lactic acid back into its usable constituents, ejecting everything else out into burning white urine. And so, over the course of the day, they would catch up to him, then fall behind, and catch up to him again. A strange thing happened. He found himself waiting for them. Several times over, he could have left them far enough behind that they never would have caught up to him. But he'd grown accustomed to their company, and so from time to time he'd dig his heels in against the horizon's pull and wait in the shade of a thorn tree or burnt orange cactus, each time fearing they wouldn't show, each time rejoicing softly in his heart as they came in a swarm of black dots over the far hills at his rear. Each time they rejoined him, they dared come nearer. At last dared to reach out, driven by some unfamiliar instinct to gently touch its bristled back, to caress. The creature responded to his caress with little noises of delight, and by pushing itself into his hand. He made a noise he had never made before, and one for which he had no word. The laugh. And after that, shared taste of village's blood had brought them together. It became his custom to sleep amongst them, they stank, but his own reek was so strong and foul that he scarcely noticed. They were bristly and spined, but his own hide was so gnarled and leathered by exposure that he scarcely noticed. Their sexual habits were nearly constant and abhorrent to his mammalian brain, but so sharp was his loneliness that he submitted to the slick exploitations of their questing palps, and discovered with them not only pleasures, but emotions which he never... Then, on the fourth day, a barrier, a huge divide of rusted metal spanning the land from sky to sky at the height of some hundreds of meters, an ancient bulwark constructed against what enemy he knew not what, perhaps against him, for the gentle pressure in his head told him that what he sought was close, that it lay just on the other side of that wall. One way through that wall, and only one way. A great chasm split into its face by weapons apocalyptic and long forgot, now scabbed up with a fortified town made from flesh and pulsing with the blood of mighty... Clenched shut, trying not to hear their death squeals as the flying shards of bone tore their bodies apart, as one by one their buzzing figures shivered and were still, as the hemolymph within them burst forth to stain the desert floor as their palps fell still, never to offer their slick comforts again. Knowing it was his fault, that he had used them up, and for what? For a momentary advantage, when what he really needed was... throbbing pressure in his head, down into the wet chasm of... 
dragging himself closer and closer with his one still working arm to the source of the signal in his brain. Close now, so close to that which he had to kill that his pupils had spread to the diameter of knuckle bones and his jaws were drenched in slaver. Still covered in that strange blood, which refused to dry in his hair and on his skin, preferring only to congeal like cornstarch mixed in water, like hagfish slime. One last barrier before him, a sphincter of the living city, but he tore into it with fingernails and with teeth, tasting the pungent hemolymph that gushed forth, but not allowing the trembling or moans of the sphincter to distract him until he had clawed his whole body through. Perverse rebirth. And then he was there, in the room, in the chamber with the signal, and he snarled and howled in the emptiness, ready to fight, ready to destroy. But nothing came at him from the darkness, and nothing fled through the sphincters and cannula of the living city. There, in the darkness, a body, half mummified with age, its hands clawed, its mouth frozen open in long-preserved agony. Dead. His goal, the object of his pursuit. Long dead. He clawed his fingers and punched through the papery skull, withdrew a small bead of ceramic and smashed it with the hilt of the titanalloy hackknife that he wrenched from the corpse's fingers. Suddenly, that pressure in his head... That gravity, that downhill feeling, was gone. He was free. But for what? He stood in the darkness, looked down at the body and realized it was his own. The same hunched frame, the same ceram alloy teeth, the same everything. Why had he been sent to kill himself? And why had he been sent too late? He stared up into the darkness above him, into the great, dying interiors of the living city, the city he had killed along with so many other things. He wondered what he was meant to do now, simply to die, his function fulfilled. He missed something, missed the comfort of the dogflies, missed the warmth of them, the simple joy of... Crouched with his hands over his head, trying in vain to drown out the remembered sound of their death squeals, the wet noise of bone shards ripping through their wings and compound eyes, and the whining belch of... For the first time in his life, guilt, shame at having caused the death of something, something that he loved. For the first time in his life, he sobbed, sinking to his knees upon the fleshy floor. These terrible feelings. He had no idea how to manage them. And so he knelt, staring up into horrid darkness, and wondered what to do.